This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by the New York Times. Supporting the New York Times with a digital subscription for only a dollar a week means that you are helping to make sure that the world's greatest newspaper can continue to write about the things that matter. We can all get our news from fake sources like Facebook and other social media, but why not get your news from a trusted source and not from social media, which is 99% of the time wrong? Like, for example, a recent story that was circulating on Facebook was that Joe Biden was ignoring homeless veterans and refusing to help them. This was not true. His administration is spending $725 million right now to help tackle that problem. Another fake story was that the Vice President of America, Kamala Harris, was quoted as saying that veterans that want federal assistance should get a job. This is also not true, and there seems to be a pattern emerging from right-wing fake news sites trying to say that the current administration, for some reason, hates veterans. I wonder why. And finally, my favorite story from the last week that was not true was that a man in Florida kidnapped 27 people and made them play Yahtzee for 36 straight hours. Sadly, not true. So, to get your news from a trusted source and to support real journalism, go to nytimes.com for a dollar a week to get started. Hi, my name is Brian Clark, and I am an addict. I am not a drug addict, I am not an alcoholic, and I am not addicted to online or in-person gambling. I am addicted to buying cookbooks. I love cookbooks. I love looking at them. I love flipping through the pages and reading the stories behind the food. I love new cookbooks about great chefs and restaurants, and I love old cookbooks from chefs like Escoffier and the grand restaurants from the past. My house is full of cookbooks, and I wouldn't want it any other way. If you are a chef, a cook, or even a home enthusiast, chances are that you love cookbooks too, and as I was sitting in my living room the other night flipping through the cookbook for Black Axe Mangle from London, I realized that the history, the story of how cookbooks came to be, I knew nothing about. And so, in true Let's Talk About Chef fashion, as soon as I started looking, I was blown away. And so today, on this episode, I'm going to talk about the story of cookbooks. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no.
The story of cookbooks doesn't begin with the tale of multinational publishing houses churning out thousands of recipe books on keto diets or the latest fad. It doesn't begin with Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver pushing out, you know, 50 books a year and they're just glossy photo albums. The story of cookbooks is the story of how early humans wanted to pass along information to one another. How to write down and how to prepare something delicious so that others can do so and feed themselves. It was a way of preserving knowledge and sharing it, and so it makes sense that the first ever cataloging of recipes is over 3,700 years old from around 1730 BCE. The Yale tablets are a set of four clay slabs from Old Babylonian period. Three of the four tablets contain recipes with cooking instructions, with one of them containing recipes for 25 different stews. The fourth tablet is less damaged than the other three, and that's because it was made a thousand years after the others were. The sheer fact that these tablets were kept for over a thousand years, passed down from generation to generation in ancient Mesopotamia, is humbling to think about. I don't think that my copy of Joe Beef's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse is going to last that long. An example of a 3,700-year-old recipe for stew says, Stew of lamb. Meat is used. You prepare water. You add fat. You add fine-grained salt, dried barley cakes, onion, Persian shallot, and milk. You crush leek and garlic. Another recipe for leg of lamb says, Leg meat is used. You prepare water. You add fat. You fold in salt, beer, onion, arugula, cilantro, Persian shallot, cumin, and red beet. And you crush leek and garlic. You sprinkle coriander on top, and then you add carrot and fresh cilantro. Those recipes are from a time 1,000 years before the pyramids were built in Egypt. And even today, they have been prepared and eaten as they were intended. The first ever real cookbook was written by the Roman gourmand Marcus Gavius Apicus. Now, Marcus was obsessed with food, and he would travel all over the known world to try and eat everything he could get his hands on. He once sailed from Rome to Libya to eat prawns that were said to be massive and the best in the world, only to return home months later saying he couldn't find any that were all that good. He would hold massive banquets in his mansion where his guests would be treated to delicacies from around the world. Things like ostrich and flamingo, even dormouse. Marcus was possibly the first glutton in history. He even invented foie gras. And he collected all of his findings and recipes into his cookbooks called Apicus, which is still printed today. In the year 20 AD, Marcus threw a banquet that was so legendary, it is considered to be one of the most opulent events in all of history. Hundreds of exotic dishes were served. He even had his servants spray the green lettuce in his garden with mead the night before, so that on the day of the banquet when it was picked, it tasted, and I quote, like green cheesecake. His cookbook was broken down into sections, just like modern cookbooks, with sections for meat and game, like wild boar, bear, vegetables, seafood, and fowl with dishes like roasted flamingo and stuffed peacock. It's said that on the days leading up to his legendary feasts, there would be lines of carts and carriages with live animals in cages and vegetables stacked into huge mounds, making their way towards his mansion. Eventually, because of his spending, Marcus went bankrupt and ended up committing suicide. But his collection of over 400 recipes lives on. His recipes for desserts consisted of things like sweet sauce made from giant wild fennel that he found in North Africa. 
The sheer fact that Apicus took the time to write down his recipes shows the dedication and slight insanity that he had for food. And reading his book is a fascinating way to see what the Roman elite ate on a daily basis. His cookbook even had instructions on how to deal with food that had spoiled because refrigeration wasn't a thing. Apicus remembered that cooks who needed to prepare birds with a goatish smell, aka they're rotten, should bathe them in a mixture of pepper, lovage, thyme, dry mint, sage, dates, honey, vinegar, wine broth, oil, and mustard, and that'll get rid of the smell. We have also found recipes written on the stone walls in kitchens and fireplaces in Pompeii, where the ash from the volcano Vesuvius preserved them. Recipes back from this time were very rarely written down, but before the age of the printing press, the rich and powerful would commission their chefs to write down the recipes from their castles to show off to other guests. These books were meant to impress, and they are filled with dishes like humongous pies filled with live birds that would fly out into the room when you cut into them, or massive structures made out of mashed potato. Food was how the wealthy would spend their money, and having it handwritten was the peak of opulence and class. The first ever cookbook written in English was written by the chefs of King Richard II in 1390. This book is where we get words we still use today like soup or stew or supper, and it's also when potatoes started appearing, throwback to last week's episode. It's around this time during the Middle Ages when we get one of the most beautiful stories about cooking and food I've ever heard. See, it was illegal during the Middle Ages for monks to write down anything other than religious scripture. These monks would spend their lifetimes copying the Bible in amazing detail. You've probably seen examples of the books, all having to do with religion and God in beautiful imagery, all handmade. There was one monastery where monks broke that law. They instead started to write down recipes of their country that were given to them by commoners that wanted their story of their food to live on. Now, because it was dangerous for the monks to keep track of the recipes when villagers would come to the monastery to see the collection of recipes or to give them a recipe of their own, they would have to say a password in Latin that the monk would repeat to them. Translated, it means, may your name spread like hot oil. By the time the printing press came around, cookbooks could be printed for everyone, and all of us commoners started to write and print them as fast as the machines would allow. Books stopped being for royalty to show off to one another and started being practical guides on everything from recipes on how to make wine and cheese and butter. One of the most famous examples of this was the 1615 book The English Housewife. These books were meant as guides for the heads of British households who not only had to run the kitchen but every facet of life on an estate. Instructions in these books from the 16th and 17th centuries were not what we would expect in a book written today. For example, in one book, it had one page dedicated to winemaking and the next on how to clean a chimney. As humanity started to spread further and further around the globe, people took cookbooks and the knowledge of how to write them to the New World of North America, where the first cookbook written in America was authored by Amelia Simmons in 1796 and it was called American Cookery. It had 47 pages that had recipes for roasts, stuffed goose, stuffed leg of veal, roast lamb, and stews. It also had recipes for cakes like the queen cake that had butter whipped into cream, a pound of sugar, a pound of flour, 10 eggs, a glass of wine, rose water, and spices. Another plum cake called for 21 eggs. Now, at this point, we have to pause and talk again about the messed up history of the American South. 
Slaves in America made the food in the kitchens. They are the ones who wrote down recipes and kept the tradition of their food alive. A little known fact is that when the Civil War ended and Reconstitution was underway, white women had no idea how to prepare food because their cooking traditions had disappeared over the hundreds of years of slavery. When we talk of the written traditions of America, we are talking about tradition rooted in slavery. Southern food, American food, comes from that reality. The first cookbook authored by an African-American was a domestic cookbook containing a careful selection of recipes for the kitchen by Mrs. Melinda Russell, published in 1866. Mrs. Russell was from a family of freed slaves, but she worked as a cook. Later, she opened a boarding house and a pastry shop in Michigan. This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Buzzsprout. If you want to start a podcast, there is no better time than now. And like me with Let's Talk About Chef, oh so many years ago, let Buzzsprout help you get started. If you record your show, Buzzsprout will let you host it for 90 days for free. And you can get up-to-the-minute analytics, stats, monetization help, everything you need. So if you want to get started on your own podcast and there's no reason that you can't, let Buzzsprout help you. Go to buzzsprout.com and let them know that Let's Talk About Chef sent you there. By the 20th century, cookbooks became essentially what we know them to be today. And during that time, we got the Betty Crocker Picture Cookbook, which is the most successful cookbook in all of history. More than 65 million copies of it have been sold, and the year it came out, it outsold the Bible. A fun fact about Betty Crocker is that she never existed. She was the invention of General Mills to answer letters that people wrote into the company about baking. Cookbooks are, in my humble opinion, magical things. To have an archive of how people ate and lived throughout the world of history is a wonderful thing, and today cookbooks are more popular than ever before. 
Over the last 12 years alone, over 5,000 different book publishers have printed more than 200,000 new cookbooks. During the pandemic and lockdowns, cookbooks sold more than ever before because the one side effect of the coronavirus is that people are cooking at home, and we need the cookbooks to guide us through what we're doing. In the end, the history of cookbooks is really the history of humanity. The chefs and cooks who took the time to write down how they prepared food have given us a window into their lives, and that's an amazing thing. Cookbooks allow us to see and feel and eat the past, to try and eat the way not only how the ancients Roman did, or how the French did in the 1900s, but even how our own families gathered to celebrate life. In the world of digital everything and print being shut down to be taken over by the internet in every other facet of life, cookbook sales have gone up. And that's all right with me. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk About Chef. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. The only reason that this show is popular at all is because of word of mouth. So I thank everyone for listening. And if you can tell someone about it, I really appreciate it. I want to thank the New York Times and Buzzsprout for letting me talk about them again this week. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that you are safe and please support local businesses that have struggled so hard for the last year. Also, just for the record, so there's no confusion, normally I try and make the music all about what I'm talking about, but there aren't really any songs about cookbooks. So instead, we're going to listen to Corona Corona by Bob Dylan because it's one of my favorite songs of all time. Have a great service and have a great week. Karina, Karina, care where you've been so long. Karina, Karina, care where you've been so long. I've been worried about you, baby. Baby, please come home. I got a bird that whistles I got a bird that sings I got a bird that whistles I got a bird that sings But I ain't got courage now Life don't mean a thing 